This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is a crowd podcast. Chester Bennington stands in front of a crowd. But this crowd looks different to the usual bunch of screaming fans. The ones that sing your lyrics back at you. The ones that follow you on tour across the world. For a start, this crowd's silent. They sit in rows, solemn. Every one of them dressed the same. Chester's used to his crowds looking alike. Torn jeans, band, t-shirts, tattoos, piercings. It's not like that here. This crowd haven't come to see Chester. They're not here because they love his band. No one cares about Linkin Park right now. This crowd, they've come to pay their respects. That's why they're all in black. Black suits, black dresses, even a couple of black leather jackets. It's a rock star's funeral after all. Chester, shaved head, black suit, dark sunglasses, hiding red eyes, steps up to the mic, a guitarist by his side. This is something he's done before, hundreds of times, thousands of times. For Chester, music's an escape, a release valve, a way of coping with a lifetime of abuse, all kinds of abuse, the kind that's been done to him, the kind that he's done to himself straight into the mic. That's where Chester directs his anger, his grief, and today's no different. But his voice, that is different. Chester's not a frontman today. He sings softly, his voice fragile. It breaks at times. He struggles to finish the lyrics. Chester sings hallelujah, not the fluffy hymn you remember from school, the other one. The one you can hear Jeff Buckley singing in your head right now. The one about remorse, about pain, about how much it can hurt to love someone. He sings for his friend, Chris Cornell, another frontman, who took his own life just over a week before. But it's just a singing for himself too. Less than two months after Chris Cornell is found dead in a Detroit hotel room, Chester is found dead in his California home. You might think these two tragic deaths are unrelated, and maybe you're right, but the day Chester took his life would have been, should have been, Chris Cornell's 53rd birthday. After his friend died, Chester tweeted a tribute Your voice was joy and pain, anger and forgiveness, love and heartache, all wrapped up into one. I suppose that's where we all are. Chester realized what he was doing. He wasn't just describing the voice of a friend. He was describing himself. He was describing his own life. You see, it's hard to get your head around Chester Bennington because to truly understand Chester, 
You need to understand that alongside all the pain, the battles with addiction, with depression, relapse after relapse, if you could ask him, Chester would tell you he had a happy life too. He'd tell you about his music, about the lonely kid who lived his wildest rock star dreams, but most of all, he'd tell you about his family, about being a dad, about his six kids. Extremes. That's what made Chester. Love and heartache, anger and forgiveness, joy and pain. That's Chester Bennington. July in Arizona. Now, that's a different kind of heat. The kind that hits you in the face the second you step outside makes you gasp. Makes you wonder why anyone would ever choose to live here. Chester didn't have a choice. He was born here. But that was a long time ago. Today, he's just visiting. He's supposed to be relaxing, unwinding. This is meant to be a vacation. But there's a knot in his stomach. He's about to tell his wife and kids he's leaving early. Work stuff. Can't get out of it. Sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? But it's true. Linkin Park have a photo shoot. So he gives his reasons. They understand. They always understand. That's another thing that makes you wonder as he says his goodbyes, as he kisses his kids on the head, as he holds his wife. It makes you wonder if he knows this will be the last time he ever sees them. The last time they'll ever see him alive. Arizona's not an easy place to be for Chester. Too many memories, too many things he'd rather forget. When Chester thinks about being a kid, about growing up, there's a black spot in his vision. It's like a cloud or a smudge, painful to look at. It's smeared over everything he remembers. Chester doesn't exactly know when it started, seven or eight years old. Around then, he thought he was just hanging out with a friend a friend who was a couple of years older than him. Chester probably felt pretty cool, mates with one of the bigger boys. But this bigger boy, Chester says, he got curious. At least, at first, that's how it felt. Like his friend was just wondering, what does this do? How does that feel? What if I do this? But things like this, abuse like this, it escalates, it always escalates. At eight years old, Chester was getting beaten, molested, forced to do things he didn't want to do. And the abuse lasted until he was 13. In all that time, Chester didn't tell anyone. He couldn't tell anyone. He was terrified, ashamed, angry. He couldn't find a way to talk about it. When he was 11, Chester's parents divorced. He couldn't understand why it was happening, why they didn't love each other anymore. Years later, Chester would say he thought his mom was abandoning him. He lived with his dad, distant, busy, always working. So Chester couldn't talk to him either. What makes it so much worse is knowing what was keeping Chester's dad so busy, so distant. 
just as dad was a detective. A detective who spent all the hours he wasn't with Chester working child sexual abuse cases. Chester is alone, like he said, abandoned. His anger gets out of control. He blames his family. He hates them. He can remember sitting in his room and thinking, all I want to do is kill everybody and run away. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't lash out. He picks up a pen, a scrap of paper. He writes. He draws. Pages and pages and pages. He tries to make sense of how he's feeling. Then he thinks, these words, these ideas, they feel like lyrics. What were you doing when you were 16? Did you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend? Did you have a job, a plan for where you were going next? Who you wanted to be? At 16, Chester Bennington had one thing, a problem. But in Chester's messed up 16-year-old brain, the drugs were helping. They helped him cope, they helped him blot out the black thoughts. If only for a moment, it was enough. It was worth it. Chester didn't start slow either. He didn't just smoke a bit of weed, do a line at a friend's house, drop a pill at a gig. When Chester did drugs, he did drugs, plural. I took everything. I got really bad really quickly. That's what he says. He started with LSD, a lot of LSD. When Chester and his friends couldn't get hold of any more acid, they moved onto methamphetamine. That's crystal meth. It was cheaper, easier to get hold of, easier to get more of. Chester once said on a normal day, they were getting through an eight ball of meth between them. That's three and a half grams. You might think that doesn't sound like much. With meth, it doesn't take much. It takes even less when you're smoking it in bongs like Chester. To take the edge off, he'd smoke opium or take a pill or drink alcohol, so much alcohol, it would make Chester soil himself. That's a normal day. Reckless, dangerous, so a wake-up call is coming, right? You've heard this one before. Not like this, you haven't. It's one of Chester's normal days. He's crashing with some friends, smoking meth. Just another fucked-up 16-year-old listening to Stone Temple Pilots, his favourite band. Chester hears a noise. He looks up and the door is open. A group of men stand there looking at his friends, looking at him. Chester's never seen them before. Two confusing words flash through his mind. Mexican Mafia. He hears his friend try to say something, then silence. Then Chester sees why. He sees the gun pressing against his friend's head. Another friend stands protesting, he falls to the ground, his face bleeding where the butt of a pistol just knocked him to the floor. This Mexican mafia, these criminals, they take everything, every dollar, every cent, any tiny thing of value, they take it. 
So Chester sits there, terrified, eyes clamped shut, praying they'll leave. He tells himself he's got to stop. He's got to cut the drugs out. He's got to change. The last thing the armed men take is a bike. A bike they find leaning against the wall outside, left there by some dumb kid. And so Chester's walking home. But at least he's heading home. If you could see him walking away that night, you'd know he was an addict. The second you saw him, skin and bone, shaking. That's exactly what his mum realises when she opens the door. You see, Chester meant it when he said he wanted to get clean, but you can't just stop. You need something. You need something to take the edge off. And opium's out of the question. A little drink, that can't hurt. One little drink to get me through today, through the next few hours, through the next five minutes. What were you doing when you were 17? Chester was an alcoholic, but he was a musician too, a songwriter, Grey Days, Days as in Confused. That's the name of his first band. They didn't make it, the band fell apart, but Chester had already found something, something beside drugs or alcohol that could pull him out of his own head, something that could make him feel happy. Chester's chance would come after this short break. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Chester Bennington sits in front of a computer, 
He's wearing a shirt. He looks smart. His long hair neatly combed, glasses on. He's a professional. Digital services. That's what he's doing, working for the paycheck. The dream hasn't panned out. He's no rock star. He's married. He's got a son from a previous relationship. He needs the money. He needs a drink. Chester's got into this comfy routine with alcohol. Functioning alcoholic, that's what they call it. He can get up, he can go to work, he can come home. What more do you want? It's his 23rd birthday. There's going to be a party tomorrow. And then the phone rings. Just another ringing phone. It usually means nothing. A task at work, a telemarketer at home. But this ringing phone, it changes everything. Chester answers. A guy starts talking. Chester doesn't recognize the voice. Not at first. Jeff Blue. That's his name. He's a record label guy. Looking for undiscovered talent. Says he remembers Chester. Remembers him from years back, from grey days. The next thing Jeff says, Sounds cocky. It is. Really cocky. He's probably said it before too. Jeff says, I'm going to give you your big break. He tells Chester about this band, this awesome band. They need a singer. So somewhere there's a birthday party for Chester Bennington. There's cake, there's music, but there's no Chester. He's in a studio making a demo. Now Jeff's phone starts ringing. It's Chester. When do you want me to come out? Come out? We need you to record some vocals first. Now, Chester's cocky. He puts the tape in. He holds the phone to the stereo. He presses play. It's Chester singing this other band's songs. He hits pause. 15 seconds. That's all he plays. Is that good enough for you? There's a wait. A long pause. Jeff inhales, then asks, when can you be here? That day, Chester quits his job. He goes to LA. He's ready. He's excited, giddy. This really could be it. When he gets to LA, he expects a welcome. What he gets is a seat, a seat with all the others. Hybrid Theory. That's the band that will become Linkin Park. They're holding auditions. This label guy might think Chester's the one, but rock bands don't want to be told what to do by the label guy. So Chester waits. He watches, listens, he thinks. No one here is as good as me, no one. And then he gets his chance, his moment at the mic, and he smashes it. Then he's told to sit back down and watch the rest. Are you kidding? Is this a joke? One guy gets up in bare feet, says he wants to do stand-up comedy between the songs. The band gives him a chance anyway. Just as pissed off now. All that rage he tries so hard to hide. They don't want me? Screw them. He's about to throw it all away, walk out, give up. He thinks, maybe I can get my old job back. He turns to the door, then someone calls his name. 
They tell him they loved him. They say he's got the gig. This is it. Linkin Park, they're huge. Their first album, Hybrid Theory, is one of the best-selling debut records of all time. 27 million sold. It's gone platinum 11 times. Some people listen to it, they hear depression, misery. Who wants that? Yeah, that's kind of the point. No one does. You listen to Chester's lyrics, the way he sings them, and you hear someone speaking just to you, saying, I know how you feel, telling you you're not alone. To anyone struggling, falling, that's comfort. That's hope. And there's a lot of people struggling in this weird part of a new century. Confusion and doubt and worry. And now, a band who understand. That works for Chester too. There'll come a time when he's back in LA, standing in front of another crowd. This time, it's not Linkin Park by his side. This time, it's Stone Temple Pilots. The band Chester listened to growing up. The band that helped a messed up kid escape the pain. Now that kid's in the band. His favourite band. Chester's made it. Chester Bennington stands in front of a photograph. He picks it up, steps into the light to get a better look. He's at his mum's house. Linkin Park have been working on their third album, Minutes to Midnight. That's what it's called. A reference to the doomsday clock. You know about that, right? It's a symbol. It represents how close humanity is to the end. The end of everything, the apocalypse, call it what you like. Chester, that's who's in the photograph. Just a kid, staring back at the camera. And Chester knows this photograph. He remembers it being taken. Then he remembers everything else. He remembers what that kid was going through, what someone was doing to that kid, what that kid will have to live with for the rest of his life. He can't help thinking about his own boys. He has four of them now. He can't stop his brain picturing it. He can't stop the image flashing into his mind. His own little boys in his place, suffering. It happens suddenly, like a clock striking 12, midnight, over in a second. Chester changes. He's at the end, at the end of fear, of silence. Chester's ready to talk, ready to tell the world what's happened to him. First, we need to step back, back to Linkin Park, back to when they're touring that first album around the world. The best bands, they're like a family, a gang. You're either in or you're out. In those early days, in those early years, Chester was out. An outsider in his own band. His bandmates couldn't talk to him. They walked on eggshells. Got a problem? Don't tell Chester. It'll only set him off, piss him off. Why? Because Chester was different, into different things, different drugs. The band drank, sure they did. They smoked pot too, but that was it. Chester? You know him. He needed more. 
I partied with everybody. That's how Chester saw it. And he's a rock star now. Isn't this what he's supposed to do? Chester's drinking gets worse, out of control, again. When his bandmates are having a couple of beers to cool off, Chester's never there. He's off somewhere, alone again, finishing a bottle of whiskey, tripping on acid. He never did a single show sober. This is what he said. I was always smoking weed right up until the moment we went on stage. Immediately after we finished the show, I'd go and get hammered. But that's just life on the road, right? Back home, Chester's first marriage is falling apart. His second son, just a few months old, is getting used to the noise. It's not dad's music, it's screaming, hatred, threats, verbal abuse. That's not all the time though. Most of the time, Chester's wrecked, hiding in the closet, in the dark, shaking, freaking out, passing out never leaving the house. He wakes up on edge. The only way he can calm down is drinking a whole bottle of Jack Daniels, popping a few pills. Then he gets back in the closet, back in the dark. Chester's spiraling like he's 16 again, like he's got a death wish. But then Chester does something he's never done before. He asks for help. And he gets it. He gets divorced. He goes to counselling, alone, with the band. His bandmates don't hold back. They tell him what an arsehole he's been. But he gets better, gets sober, gets stronger. He gets married again. Another son comes along. He puts his mistakes behind him. He finally faces his demons. But there's still one he's ignoring. One he's trying to block out. Now that demon is staring back at him, staring out of a photograph. A photograph in his mum's house. A photograph of Chester, just a kid. A little while later, in an interview, he tells a journalist how it happened, the abuse, and he feels a weight lift from his shoulders. Days later, his phone starts ringing. Another phone call that's going to change his life. It's his dad. He's seen the story. He's angry, confused. Why didn't you tell me? Chester says he couldn't. His dad asks who it was. Who did this? Chester wrestles with the question. Then he tells him. You knew him. Everybody knew him. And then Chester moves on. He doesn't track his abuser down. He doesn't press charges. He lets it go. He lets it go because he finds out the truth. He finds out his abuser was abused too. Long before he started doing it to Chester. All this pain Chester feels, his abuser feels it too. I don't need revenge. That's what Chester thinks. This is where it ends. The abuse, this pain, it ends with me. We have so much to live for. After Chris Cornell died, that's what Chester told a friend. We have so much to live for. Before his death, 
people believed him. There are hundreds of stories like that from all the people who knew Chester. When they talk about the weeks and months before it happened, they talk about the same things. He was happy. He was busy. He was doing well. One friend said he was the most alive and present Chester he'd ever seen. Another tells a story about Chester waiting outside the door at a Rock to Recovery meeting, a group that helps musicians stay sober. Chester wasn't alone. He had a puppy in his arms. He wanted everyone to meet the puppy. He wanted to brighten everyone's day. His wife, Talinda, says he was at his best before he passed. But despite Chester's history, no one expected what happened next. No one. Not even those who knew what happened the year before, the three-day relapse, when Chester drank so much, he blacked out. Not even those who knew about his other suicide attempt. That day, he had a change of heart and managed to get out. It's a few hours since Chester left his family in Arizona. He's back home now, back in California. But there's a lot we don't know about what happens next. What Chester is thinking about, what he's feeling, what he needs. One thing we do know, he goes into the kitchen, he grabs a bottle of beer, just one, takes a few swigs, climbs the stairs, goes into his bedroom, and closes the door. In the morning, the housekeeper finds him. When the news breaks, it's overwhelming. Shock. That's the word all the headlines use. Out of nowhere. Unexpected. In the end, if you've heard any Linkin Park, you've heard that one. It's off the first album, the one that broke records. Just as lyrics go like this. I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. Maybe that's how Chester felt in the end, that it didn't matter, that he didn't matter. If that's how he felt, he was wrong. You only need to see the footage. Thank you, Chester, for everything that you've done for us. You know we love you all. We miss you here. and. You will live with us forever, for Chester. The footage of thousands of fans all across the world taking to the streets, carrying signs, painting murals, crying, singing. Yes, it was grief, but it was love too. You only need to speak to his family, to his wife who lost her best friend, to his kids who had the best dad ever. A dad who would never shut up about them. A dad who couldn't talk about them without a beaming smile. A dad who saw them as his greatest achievement. Maybe his only achievement. Crazy, isn't it? How a guy can feel that low and that proud, that happy. But that's Chester. Love and heartache, anger and forgiveness joy and pain. That's how it ended. Heartache, anger, pain. But what Chester left behind? Now that's love, that's joy. 
in his lyrics, there's a voice that says, I know how you feel. You are not alone. To anyone struggling, falling, that's comfort, that's hope. Chester may be gone, but his music, it still speaks for him. He's still expressing himself, still speaking his truth. In the end, he never stopped. If you've been affected by any of the issues we spoke about in this podcast, or are worried about someone you love, please call the Samaritans at 116-123. Someone will always be there to listen, day or night, and it's free for all UK phone numbers. Or go to crowdnetwork.co.uk forward slash helplines to find a list of people you can go to for help. This episode of Death of a Rockstar was written by Dan Kiss and performed by me, Elroy Spoonface Powell, Spoon the Voice Guy. It was edited by Phil Brown. For research, we read articles from Rolling Stone, The Guardian, Kerrang, Billboard, Loudwire, and The NME. We also watched a lot of interviews with Chester. If you want to hear Chester talk frankly about his mental health, watch the interview he did with 102.7 KIIS-FM. Just search Chester Bennington Live with Jojo. You'll find it. The music we used is from BMG Production Music, but if you want to hear what Chester was all about, start with In The End from the first Linkin Park album called Hybrid Theory. For something a bit different, listen to One More Light. Chester dedicated the song to his friend Chris Cornell, then the band dedicated it to Chester, releasing it as a single after his death. If you want another podcast to listen to, check out our episodes about Amy Winehouse or Jeff Buckley. And if you're up to date with this series, go and find Death of a Sports Star. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. 
Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.